0: You're listening to... Whoa! Hot luck!
1: Hot luck! And hey, welcome to the Good Pop Culture Club. This is episode 51. My name is Marvin Yue, and joining me to talk about all the good pop that gets through our days, we have self-reflecting professional Asian-American Jess Ju.
0: Hi, guys. Hey, hey, hey it's it's bad right now. Yeah,
1: yeah, Jess, are we in a time warp? Have yeah, we because war- America
0: is always racist and it's terrible. <laughs> it hasn't even been a year yet, guys. The anniversary of George Floyd's murder May. is, is mar- May 25th. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. It hasn't yeah. even been a year. Like, guys. How are we the back in Minnesota? I mean, Prince said the revolution will be in Minnesota. And yes, we should have believed in Prince. And it's just, but like, in all honesty, like, I think they have like a shooting. I mean, I think LAPD kills somebody every single day. What the fuck? Yeah.
1: Yeah, things are bad. Things also, are bad. joining us, professional culture editor Han Win. Sorry for that downer introduction to you.
2: I Han. mean, I will also bring it down later. Um, so <laughs> look, it's it's a bad time, and um, I think we're all dealing with it in different ways. And yes, it, it's we can't ignore it. So, uh, yeah, this will be represented in our choices.
1: Yeah, I mean, check your local Twitter, IG feed. I'm sure there's people talking about ways to support and to provide ways to provide support in whatever. I mean, by the time this podcast comes out, there's probably gonna be like two other shitty things that happen hey, in the yeah. world.
2: Let's not let's not call it, but
1: yeah, <laughs> let's not.
2: Jinx it. I, I I only hope it's little things like you know mahjong and stuff like that. You
1: know, yeah, yes. yeah. Let's go back racism to petty light. racism, yeah,
0: <laughs> or like Bean Dad. Remember Bean I Dad? <laughs> oh my God, uh, that was in January. Nostalgic for Bean January? Dad. It's already May, almost. Holy
1: well, yeah. Oh, are we are, are we are we ready for May twenty twenty one?
0: Well, I will be fully vaccinated starting in the beginning of May, which is also my birthday month, and I missed last year's, and I'm gonna go hard. Starting with a very expensive trip to swim with otters. Uh, that's a good decision. Yeah, I bought it in one of those like midnight depression, like online shopping things. But instead of like clothes, because I'm trying to be more eco-conscious and not consume fast fashion, I bought a swim with otters. Which like, I'm not mad about. Yeah, this is inspiring, actually. Yeah. Um, But I agree with the fast
2: fashion thing. Like... I don't need more clothes and I've working from home has shown me how much I don't need clothes, you know, like new clothes that is not just no clothes.
1: According to my girlfriend, I don't need new clothes. I just don't need the clothes that I've been buying my whole (laughs) life.
0: (laughs) Oh, is it that time where she's like everything you wear is hideous and you're bringing me down? So time to revamp. Oh, that happened two
1: years ago when she came over and just like threw away everything in my drawer.
0: I love
2: how it's just one drawer. I, I was like, I have so many clothes. I have enough clothes for about five people um, if they're all my size. And um, <laughs> and so I actually bought an extra like clothes, like rod rack thingy. Um, I have uh, an overflowing closet. I filled a top cabinet and then I have a full eight drawer dresser.
0: Uh, oh like, shit,
1: you do like- have... It sounds like you need to go Marie Kondo that right away. Oh, I
2: definitely do. And my excuse was whenever I was, you know, out and about doing entertainment stuff, I needed different clothes for different situations. Uh, This last year, I have needed none of them. So (laughs) this is what has made me like determine like once the world opens up a little bit more, I will determine which clothes actually fit, which clothes actually are still like Serving me, and then I need to get rid of some
0: of
1: them. Yeah, so, like, We're, we are all one step closer to our dreams of living in tiny houses. <laughs> I there. too
0: have like a lot of clothes for five people. It's just unfortunate because none of those people are me right now. <laughs> like every time I try to put on pants that aren't stretchy, I'm like, oh, that's not gonna work. That's <laughs> not gonna work.
1: It's yeah, right. I
2: gotta probably face those facts also. There are probably some things that are not gonna go past the knees.
1: <laughs> oh hey on the bright side 90s fashion is coming back that means no no
0: marvin no no (laughs) not even 90s they're in y2k and i was old enough to remember y2k which coincided with my awkward pre-puberty years and it's it's bad why do you want to bring it back it's bad it's bad (laughs) like no one needs to we don't need to do the low rise if the thong straps come back out as in like the underwear thongs like no and then the multi-layered cami no no <laughs> do i no, need to we get rid
2: of my it. car
0: do i need to get rid of my cargo pants then and my
2: no. shorts.
1: And- <laughs> i've kept them for so long now they're coming back it's looping around now yeah
0: okay, yeah okay. except i can't fit anything i wore when i was that's- a teenager so <laughs> that's probably true I'll yeah check
2: see if I can fit
0: them. it's also like kids today like the gen zers they have tiktok they got so many resources they all look like good like they all know how to do their makeup really well you know, we kind of were stumbling through this like hideous monstrous monstrous like time where we were thought we were the shit. Like every I feel like every era had like those awkward years where you thought you were hot shit but and then you look at the pictures you're like no. Like this generation they just went to being like no, we know how to do everything like we look good. I'm like um you know, being ugly for like 7 years of like your most Vulnerable time builds, uh, builds character.
1: Wow. Are, have we become those people saying that hardship I'm builds I'm 100% character?
0: old. I'm so old. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes.
1: Well, on today's episode of The Good Pop Culture Club, we're continuing our 2021 Oscars catch-up with Over the Moon, which was nominated for Best Animated Feature. Um, but before we get to that, let's find out what pop culture is begging us through this week. Um, let's start with Han. What's popping?
2: All right, so this is the this is the week of where I'm going to bring things down, um, but there is a reason. It is a four part docu series on HBO slash HBO Max called "Exterminate All the Brutes." It is made by Raul Peck. He had done the Oscar nominated uh, documentary "I Am Not Your Negro," which is uh, it's James Baldwin's mm. story and um, looking at civil rights activists. Um, in America and so racism through the lens of the activists in America. But this one is far more ambitious and I actually really dug it, even though by the end, like my soul was ground down into the ground. Um, But basically the the title exterminate all All the brutes kind of gives you a, a clue as to what it's about which is the quote itself was taken from the horribly racist character in Heart of Darkness, uh, Joseph Conrad's novel. And then that title was used, I mean, that quote was used as a title of a book by Sven Lindquist, who is a nonfiction uh, Swedish author who wrote a lot about um, the history of colonialism, imperialism, genocide, white supremacy, etc., all around the world. And so he became friends with Raoul Peck. So this docuseries is highly influenced by that concept. Um, So when people talk about white supremacy, you know, in the U.S., they often, you know, just start with like, you know, uh, slavery and stuff like that. And and whereas this gives a far more global and historical look throughout centuries, things that we know, like we know about colonialism in Africa and everywhere else. But he kind of really puts it together in a very interesting way that like, makes you connect the dots if you haven't, but also just gives you a better like, cohesive look at the world, even though it's not a comprehensive docu-series. I don't know how to describe it, but he hops all around the world. He hops around in time. It's put together. This narrative is put together very interestingly in that he puts it together with a lot of, let's see, Old Hollywood and other type movies where he uses clips to sort of show like it starts off with a a clip from On the Town, which is a musical that had like Gene Kelly and Frank Sinatra in it. Um, and they're in, you know, it's set in New York and they're dancing in like a museum. But of course, it's in the museum where there are representations of historical people and the sort of racist uh representations of those people so it's just he has a fascinating way of putting together like all of the culture and all of the sort of storylines that we might have heard um there's use of animation there is he even includes himself in the story because he since he's from haiti you know he talks about how those islands were you know discovered by europeans too um, he talks about how he, you know, later on went to Congo. So, of course, Congo was taken over uh, by, I believe it was Belgium. Uh, and then he also has a um, some recreations. And the recreations are fascinating because they also go hop around all throughout time in America, in the Congo, all over the place. But the sort of com- um, the common thread throughout them is there's one main white, sort of a presser character called Jessup and he is played by Josh Hartnett.
0: Oh, that's <laughs> a good casting cuz he I've always thought Josh Hartnett looked like he could do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have I have an affection for Josh Hartnett because
2: he was all in those like really cheesy teen films and um but and he's actually bit, you know, he got into more uh like he got into better roles, I think. He you know, he graduated and became more mature. So apparently He became friends with Raul Peck um, a while ago, and they've maintained that friendship. And so he's like, hey, do you want to, you know, play this horrible racist guy and everything? And he's like, sure. That's an
1: interesting choice. He's like, I'm Um, your man. You need a racist white shitbag? That's me, Josh Yeah.
2: So it's interesting whenever you see him because then, yeah, you're sort of like off kilter because you're like wait this is like Josh Hartnett who I kind of know but like he's someone I definitely don't want to know in this series
0: he's like low-key always played those because remember he was like Iago in the MTV remake of Othello <laughs> <laughs> yes
2: yeah I mean see I was thinking about uh, I think it was 40 days and 40 nights when I think he was the one who decided not yeah. to have sex but yeah anyway.
0: man what happened to Josh like very Y2K speaking of Y2K like do Josh Hartnett had a moment he was a thing. We were all very, you know, we were told to be very into it. And then, yeah. So you know, I'm I'm kind of glad. Like it it was it was just a fascinating
2: look. There's a lot of like also stats and just the numbers. Like he goes over everything um, and how a lot of people think that like genocides began and ended with you know Hitler and you're just like no, <laughs> you know it's been like everywhere. And he talks about e- even like the uh, industrial revolution and. The making of guns and how that also, and cannons and things like that, also helped white supremacy. So it is a bummer of a subject in certain ways, but I think because of the last few I don't want to even say last few weeks, but the last month or so, I've been feeling just incredibly frustrated. Um, and I think it was just important for me um, because I also listened to the uh, audiobook for. Igoma's aluo's uh book so you want to talk about race and so that and then exterminate all the brutes between those two it was kind of like these were my ways of basically letting myself know that like d- a counteract um a counteracting the sort of gaslighting that's out there where people are telling you like no it's not that bad or it's uh, <laughs> and and you know this, like this is just why? Why do you care about race? Uh, why do you care about slavery now? You know all this other stuff, and it's like, no, we should care about all of this stuff, and we have been um, there. This oppression has have been happening since even before America was. I su- mean, yeah, Western valid.
1: imperialism, colonial, yeah. colonialism has been an issue for like centuries. It's right? centuries.
2: I mean, it's basically since the Crusades. So, and yeah, I mean,
1: um, documentary series like this if anything, gives us something to point people towards, right? Because some people, yeah. they won't learn unless there's, like, a big zeitgeist for it. Like, when, like, Ava DuVernay's 13th came out and if people were finally able to point, like, you want to learn about, like...
2: Institu- the the, yeah. the school-to-prison pipeline and institutional, like, prison. Watch
1: you know. this really well-made documentary and educate yourself.
2: Yeah, I would compare this uh, to the 1619 Project in ways. Uh, I think they are both... I think a lot of people would find it eye-opening. This goes over a little bit about like, you know, cotton also, and just all the many ways that people excuse, um, getting rid of people because of profit and land and power. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I, I do, it is a four parter. It's 4 um, four hours. I do recommend, you know, taking breaks and I, to cleanse my mind palette between each, I have been also continuing the series of Sandhya Menon's When Dimple Met Rishi uh, YA novels. So after, you know, all this like genocide and white supremacy, I'll be like, oh, and then these two people fell in love. So <laughs> that has been my
0: week. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what What's popping with you, Jess? Um, def- nothing is deep. I started the four-part docu series on Netflix. This is a robbery about the biggest biggest in quotes art heist in history at the Isabella Gardner Museum in Boston. They thieves made it's still unsolved to this day. It's been like 30 years and they stole I think what was worth is estimated to be a, like 300 million dollars um in paintings including like Vermeer's, Vermeer's and rembrandts and um yeah very low stakes it's like true crime it's all like the mystery of true crime but none of like the murder and the sadness because yes it's sad that the paintings were stolen but also like no one no women got like slaughtered or anything so you know i can breathe a little easier and you know speaking of like white people stealing stuff it is like all just white people like kind of fighting over the spoils of you know imperialism like indirect imperialism because we have to also recognize that all these museums and these huge like gilded age wealth and like the wealth that allowed the collection of such art is from imperialism exploitation of other you know Mm -hmm. racist capitalism shit right so i was like yes white people just in boston just fight amongst yourselves this is great
2: it's Okay, I only watched the first one and a half episodes and I was really into it because it's like, first of all, the museum is gorgeous. Beautiful. Like, the grounds are crazy. And also, I really dug the music. Like, it made me so excited. I was like, this needs to be a score, you know, somewhere. And then I also just, the fact that it was a heist. Like, what, yeah. it's How a heist? Much
0: It's a heist. It's a mystery, though. It's like part heist, part mystery. And I love learning about like the insular worlds of very specific worlds. And having done like nonprofit arts, I you know I get a sense of it. But like they, there's very like specific museum things, like art museum things they talk (laughs) about. And like you know the FBI is involved, and um, you got like you got everyone from like veteran FBI's to like stonehead security guards, and like drunk college kids who happened to come across, you know, what might have been the robbers in disguise. I was just like, oh, this is very, like, dramatic. But again, no one's getting, like, murdered, murdered, stabbed, stabbed. So, it's a good time. So, would recommend, Um, even if you don't like anything about art, um, it's also really fun to guess where these paintings are. So, the issue with these paintings is that, and I didn't even know this about, like, because you when you steal a very famous painting, you cannot sell it. So it's just like why would you put yourself at risk when you cannot get like the market value It doesn't matter if this Jackson Pollock would go for like 100 million on like Sotheby's or Christie's like to art house auctions if it has to stay in the black market they say it's actually only worth like 20% of the open market value so it goes from 100 million to 10 million which is still a lot of money but you know is that risk worth it but they, like apparently people use art for collateral for drugs Or there's a theory that it was a specific job, like somebody rich hired them to steal these specific things because the things they chose to steal were kind of random. And I'm like, oh, I bet you like, I bet you Vladimir Putin has something in his like mega his like, have you seen his like villain Bond house like built in the (laughs) mountains in the trees? Like, I bet you he has that seascape, that Rembrandt seascape just hanging over his fireplace he looks at it. He goes, huh?
2: <laughs> you know what I also love is like, they talk to an art thief who is like finally freed from jail. But the only reason why he, they know he didn't do it was he was in jail at the time. He was in
0: jail. He's great. <laughs> I love him.
2: He's an old dude sitting in like a lawn chair, um, but talking about stuff, but it's also like, it's kind of like that classic, um, plot line where you have to ask a thief to help you catch a thief. But you know, like this yeah. is, it's a, it's a reason why this is true crime. Um, where it's still not solved, but it is fascinating
0: all the different theories and, and like, threads they follow to see. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, look, humans, we're just nosy bitches, and anything unsolved, we will just think about forever. Like, that will, that just makes it, like, ten times more tantalizing. And who knows, maybe there is a world where this drums up, I think it's, like, a top ten Netflix Mm -hmm. show now. Number two. Maybe there it draws a certain level of awareness now, and maybe they will be found eventually you know crazier things have happened so you know know, i mean
2: there's still something happening with making a murderer you know so i can, i can believe it i would love it if as a result of this if they found the art
0: yeah and this is the thing like this is like you know again this is not murder so there is a potential happy ending to this, even because in murder, true crime, it doesn't matter if like justice is served. The person who was murdered is still dead, and it's still sad. But this is like, oh, we can get potentially some of these works of art back. I know. Who knows?
1: You find the art. The thief gets a book deal. Makes a movie of his life. That I would win-win.
0: watch it. So, oh my god, yes, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that because at the end of the day, look, it's a little sad, but it's also just stuff. Yeah. All right, but Marvin, what's popping with you?
1: All right, I have two things. Um the first is an anime update. Uh the new season of anime just started last week and um you may remember a couple months ago I mentioned that I was reading a light novel series called The 86, which is a mecha war anime that takes place in a country that has um sent its minorities to internment camps and conscripted them to fight against a robot apocalypse.
0: So like the United States in like 10 years?
1: Um, yeah, pretty much. Um, so the anime adaptation just came out. The first episode released on Saturday. Um, it's streaming exclusively in the States at Crunchyroll. And um, so far, it's um, I'm into it. Uh, the first episode, like most sci-fi stories, is a lot of exposition. But the animations look really good. The mech battles are done really well. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to um, seeing this story that I've been enjoying um, adapted onto the screen. In a way, it's a little timely. You know, the story touches on themes like racism, oppression, the human nature of dehumanizing the other, um, but also interrogates what it means to be an ally and how to check your own privilege when trying to connect with oppressed classes. And there's some interesting themes. Um, We'll see how the adaptation addresses those. but. Um, I'm really interested to see how this series um, hits on American audiences. So I've been like following Twitter discourse and things like that. And, you know, looking forward to following it, but check it out. It's called 86. You can wait 12 weeks and watch the whole first half of the season on Crunchyroll with your free trial, or you can just follow along. But with that said, it's time for another edition of Go Asian, um, our sub-podcast within our podcast, where we check in on our three favorite Asians on the latest season of Top Chef. Uh, Episode two aired last week, and once again, the Asians dominated.
0: Jamie won the quick buyer with her like Korean-style shrimp and grits, Mm. and then my boy Shoda and um, Avishar won the final uh, or the the, the the main challenge with what on paper sounds like a very weird dish but I love them and protect them and I want them to go far and I want them to be the first double winners in Top Chef. I mean they won
2: Partly because Avishar also used his scientific know-how to uh, carbonate carbonate grapes. <laughs> yeah, it was just so great. And so I, as soon as he talked about it, and then he pulled out like the canister, I'm like, I was like salivating. I was like, this is so exciting for me.
1: <laughs> that was an amazing when he talked about. Yeah, he double majored in like microbiology. I thought my Asian intuition <laughs> kicked in and said, oh, his parents wanted him to be a doctor. Of course, I'm sure, of course. <laughs> I, the highlight for me for this episode was not only was all three Asians being able to shine and win their their challenges, but the, the quick fire was a diner challenge. Um, one of the downsides of living in the Gabriel Valley is I have no local diners in my city. They've all closed down over the years. Um, so I had to go like outside of my immediate city to get American diner food, which I admit is not the biggest problem in the world. but. I don't know. There's something about not having a local diner that makes me a little sad.
2: Whereas with me, I have to go to the San Gabriel Valley to get decent like Asian food. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. I have plenty of diners around here and so, I'll take poison. my deal anytime. Exactly. <laughs> you is a my San Gabriel Valley.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're gonna keep we're gonna keep keeping tabs on our three favorite Asians as they move on through season eighteen of Top Chef. Um, but on that note, that'll do it for what's poppin'. For this week, Um, when we come back, we're talking about the Oscar-nominated animated feature Over the Moon. Stick around. Hey, I'm Phil Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, we've got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallusbruce.com. Peace, peace, and welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. Uh, we continue our Oscars 2021 catch-up with Over the Moon, a 2020 animated feature film from Sony ImageWorks and Pearl Studios, based on the legend of the moon goddess Chang'e from Chinese folklore. It's a story of a girl. Fei Fei, who flies to the moon to meet her childhood hero, the moon goddess. It features a star-studded cast including John Cho, Sandra Oh, Philippa Soo, Margaret Cho, Kimiko Glenn, and Ken Jeong. And it was nominated for the Best Animated Picture category for this year's Oscars. So, what do we think of Over the Moon?
0: I liked half of it. Yes. (laughs) Can you, I think, I think you can, and, and I, you know, part of me gets it. It's not for me. It's not for me. It's I'm too old. Um, I get what they were trying to do, but it does have that like symptom of like it feels like two movies smashed together. And I did real I thought what they did on the part I liked, on the half I liked about the family relationships, the grief, you know, um kind of those elements. Were were really effectively rendered and effectively visualized in a way that I think a lot of kids' movies don't go there. Very, also, very. I'm sure, very appropriate for this year as well, considering all the things that these poor kids have been going through. And like, uh, but then the other half, I'm like, (laughs) the fuck is happening? Like, I take shrooms and forget. Like, what is happening?
1: So. I actually really liked most of the film. There are a couple of things that I didn't like. I, true to form, I did not like the Cute. Um, comic relief character. The, the, um, the, much the, like the, Con the, Baby, the, the, the pangolin. The neon. Was, the
0: neon. Oh, he's a <laughs> pangolin. I thought he was like a hedgehog.
1: According to uh, Wikipedia, he's a pangolin.
0: Okay, Okay, thank you for yeah. clearing that up.
1: Um, was unnecessary in my book. But I really liked... I mean, I can see why it would seem like a fever dream, but... The aesthetics. Like growing up, I did play with paper lanterns and like the aesthetics of the moon really invoked those like childhood memories for me. So I think that's why I I think did the aesthetics are more. fine
0: and it's very I actually think that's cool. I think the art direction was very cool. They made, you know, like when I think when people think China and like traditional Chinese folktale, they're like, Oh, like they have a very specific image in their head. And the fact that Red this, and
1: dragons and Yeah, like,
0: and like, you know, long sleeves and go you know, like you know all that shit, and then so I actually thought this style of animation and the production was how it was rendered was really cool. It's like modern, it's bright, mm-hmm. it's galactic, but still you know with elements of Chinese culture. I mean the costumes, Changyi's costumes were directed like by Guope who who designed Rihanna's egg omelet bouncy Met gown, which is like my favorite look from the Met gala
1: yeah i mean tonga had like she she had so many outfit changes throughout the movie
0: (laughs) yeah it's just for me i mean i think all that was fine it's just the story there was just that part of the story i'm like what the fuck is happening (laughs) okay yeah i gotta
2: agree with pretty much all you're saying because i was super delighted i liked the character of fefe so much Because, first of all, even though they made fun of her haircut, I thought it was really cool. Like, out of grief, she cut her own hair. And, of course, you know, a kid cutting their own hair is going to be choppy and whatever. But I thought it actually gave her a lot of personality. Um, And she was also, like, super smart. She knew how uh, a maglev worked. And she kind of, you know, created her. I mean, she got to the moon. Like, I thought that was cool. But it was not done in a very stereotypical, like, oh, you're a nerd way. She was just, like, really passionate which I thought was cool. I love the whole Mooncakes um, plot line because first of all, all the food makes sense to me, you know, um, <laughs> that they take so much care with it, that it was also part of her heritage and also just, it was tied in so well with like how she loved her mom and then how like when interloper mom was coming in, you know, how, how that was like a <laughs> drawing the line there, the towing that line, like no, no dates. Um, so all of that, like, felt really good to me and I think one of the reasons why I also didn't like the the other part of it was I could tell that if I were a kid I would have been so scared of the moon stuff (laughs) like it was nightmarish (laughs) to me there were just too many colors just over like you know I think I complained a little bit about um soul that world and now I take it all back all of that was a wonderfully cool. That was so
0: calm. That
2: was yeah. like ASMR, like good vibes. It was a beautiful world. It had these rules. I understood like what was going on. <laughs> Give and- me the structure back. I don't want to be at this rave. It's like EDC on the moon. <laughs> the moon. And I so- also I found Chang'e, Chang'e very scary. Um, and I know they explained it away. Um, but at the same time, I would have been like so frightened. So yeah, it, it felt very nightmarish, like you were saying on shrooms. It was, it was an acid trip, um, <laughs> and maybe some kids will like that. Maybe the ones who are like very, you know, high energy will like it. There are a lot of animals. There's even walking mooncakes. Like, but yeah, that was not my like. I actually found myself checking email at that point, which is not a good. Yeah,
0: I will say, animals are all pretty cute. Um, the Her bunny is very cute in terms of like design. Even Gobi, who I do not get as a character, the neon <laughs> yes. hedgehog voiced by Ken Jeong, actually very, very cute. The one thing, the one animal I was like, what the fuck? It's very unfrightening Was the bunny on the moon? The jade rabbit? The the, The jade rabbit. I was like, and then it got weird because spoiler alert, I guess like her bunny falls in love with that Mm -hmm. bunny. And it's a little bit twilight is. I was like, what's the age difference between you rabbits? Mm -hmm. Um, But like they like stylistically like look very different. And then like her bunny, Bun Bun looks very young. Mm -hmm. And then the jade rabbit's like this immortal deity who like kind of looks like if you were to like anamorphosize him into like a human being would be like a creepy old dude. I'm like, this is weird. Like, why are these rabbits making me feel some type of way negatively?
2: Not everything has to fall in love, people. Like, you know.
0: No, but that she was the bunny with the like the the eyelashes and he's the Mm -hmm. dude bunny. So by the rules, by the rules of animated movies. You gotta sming. <laughs> no. no.
1: <laughs> but they also can't talk, so they do the Bambi-Eye thing yeah, with each other.
0: Yeah, yeah. But can I also tell you something funny? I actually did not know this story because my parents are the worst Chinese people ever. Yeah. So this is how I, I learned about this fucking yeah. moon
1: story. So my mother told me this story a long time ago. And what this movie doesn't include is the first half of the legend is how... Ho Yi got his, the elixir in the first place. He stole you know it that from story? her, right? No, 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 no. So, back at the dawn of time, there were 10 suns in the sky, and it was causing extreme drought. Like, nothing can grow, it was all super hot. So, Ho Yi, the archer, shot down nine of them with his arrows, and he was gifted the elixir of immortality as a reward. And now, there's two, I guess, stories about how Tonga um, ended up with the elixir and floating to the moon. One is she stole it while her husband was away. And two was, oh, she had to drink it because it was about to get stolen by her husband's apprentice. Depending on how, what era you're from and how, like, you know, slut-shamey that culture was, um, (laughs) you know, how Confucian, I guess, that culture was, you know, you have one or the other legend. but Let me tell you,
0: Chinese fable, like the Chinese stories that like are the basis for all these holidays, all fucking weird, all fucking weird. (laughs) (laughs) There's, like, one where, like, you got to feed the fishes so they don't eat some dead guy's body. That's, like, the moon. That's, like, the other moon one. You know what? You're, that's Dragon Boat. That's Dragon Boat. And then yeah. there's, like, other shit. I'm like, this is just weird, guys. This is weird. I mean, but I guess that's cool. But,
1: but how many Greek myths yes. are just as weird? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, right?
0: yeah. No, Zeus, like, rapes everything left and right. Yeah, so and, I guess we and, got and that he, going for us.
2: And even when he's a swan, he's raping. Um Oh, yeah. I I do have to say since this was all kind of new to me I was just like well it's good to see that th- this is just as weird as like Vietnamese mythology too. So <laughs> <laughs> I mean but it's I think there's a little bit more uh I I, I don't even know how to describe it um uh the, the 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 line between like worlds I guess is a little bit uh easier to cross, I think, in um, Asian mythology. <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> I mean, the moon bunny myth mm-hmm. is something that's shared amongst a lot of East Asian culture. Yeah. Maybe because we all share, you know, some Chinese blood I, here and there, a culture here and there. But do you know where the, why there's a bunny on the moon?
2: I feel like I have heard this story because I do see the rabbit on the moon. And so I yeah. remember hearing that from my family, but I don't remember the story. It's probably the same one it's, you've, like you were saying, w- that I heard it
1: probably. Well the reason there's a rabbit on the moon is because the shadows of the moon look like a rabbit that's <laughs> pounding mochi so that's why <laughs> and depending on the myths so i think in chinese culture the rabbit is pounding the elixir of life um but in like i think japanese and korean mythology the rabbit's making mochi <laughs>
0: <laughs> how did it get from elixir of life to mochi i wonder like what's that thread over there are there any like historical um are there like cultural know. anthropologists if you're a cultural anthropologist who knows how that happened let us know
1: <laughs> but i think i think what jess says makes sense because you know um to be a chinese diaspora to be asian diaspora a lot of times means like celebrating our heritage without context right like we know we eat mooncakes for mid Autumn festival but why you know, we know we do certain things for, for certain holidays, but we don't know why. And it's because these myths, these folklore, if your parents didn't tell you, you would never know.
0: I mean, I guess I could have Googled them, but I never really <laughs> did.
1: <laughs> yeah. <coughs> yeah. And to be honest, I, I did
0: Google it after this, and I'm just like, I still don't know if I get it. But you know what? <laughs> We're going to eat. We're going to talk about, you know, you hang out with your family. And like, at the end of the day, I think all the holidays boil down to that. So...
1: Yeah, but I mean, now it's a story that you know, and this is a type of thing we all know Hans Christian Andersen stories, yeah. right? Because of Disney movies, we all know grim fairy tales because of, again, Disney movies. We all know like Greek mythology because we we're forced to learn that in high school. So yes, you know that we, was yeah, a weird yeah we know weird the uh, <laughs> we know
2: the Western, Western it, the the canon. European yeah yeah yes.
1: So something like this, I think I appreciate that it's there. Um, I did not watch it as a child, so I don't know how I went over it with children. I think um, the kids
0: really love it. According think, to
2: my yeah. friend, who has two girls, they really liked it except for the dead mom part.
0: Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's like the interesting turn I've seen in recent kids' yeah, animation I, movies. Not just like Pearl, even though Pearl's two major features thus far has like sent her grief. So abominable, like her dad's gone. And, like, she's mourning her dad. And in this one, she's mourning her mother. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting.
1: I did not expect the up intro, to be honest. Yeah. Because (laughs) they don't telegraph or they don't, like call it out but like the mom is getting weaker and weaker yeah. as the mom you see goes, her like, oh, no. stumble
2: first and you're like oh no and, <laughs> then, not good. and then you see it's her like good. wearing more like scarves and being cold and frail and <laughs> it's like really horrible so yeah it's uh it, it was interesting because my friend told me about this movie when it first premiered because i was like oh did you watch over the moon and so she's talking about it and i was like how do your kids like it so they're like she's liked it except my older child you know since i look like the mom um she's oh, she was no. just like, Oh, she was very worried about me and the thing is they're like not very religious. So it was like, What do you tell your kids? Um so I was like, yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's <laughs> not like finding pneumo where the mom is already kind of dead or you know, like a lot of these other ones are like even <laughs> in Raya, like the mom's already dead. So, or mom's just missing. They don't really talk about yes. her. Yeah. Uh, yes, or it's
1: not like Frozen, where the mom doesn't look like your mom, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah. So, some-
2: yeah. There's, but this one is like, hey, get to know your mom and then kill her off. It's like, Yish. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, but that's like, inter- like, how many again? All these <laughs> Disney movies grow up with, like, there's just a missing parent that they don't talk about. Yeah. Like, it has not traumatized the main character at all. Like, they're totally fine. And like, we know that's not how well, it yeah. happens in real life. So the fact that, I mean, the fact that they've, not just them, a lot of movies has kind of been exploring grief lately. Kids movies mm-hmm. has, I don't know if that's, like, it's just surreptitious timing, because animated movies start years before, um, and it just all happened to come out in, like, the 2020, 2021, 2021 time when, like, everyone's, like sick dying or like mourning other things
1: i will say okay the one part of the film that did take me out is the setting and i don't know i experienced some cognitive dissonance with the american actors with the very chinese setting and i think the film actually takes place in china Mm -hmm. because like maglev and like the Mm -hmm. um you know the the signposting and everything and you know it takes place in like this chinese water town and I was just—it it took me out of it, even though you had all these really great actors. And I actually had to put on the Chinese dubbing
0: ah. to
1: make it make sense to me. And I actually watched most of the movie in Chinese.
0: Oh, that's fun! I should do that next time. Yeah, yeah, no,
1: and it, it just felt much more um, comfortable in my I, head watching. I, that I do way. know
2: what you mean because I remember watching it, and then like I had to tell myself, "Oh, this is actually China." Because like visually it was all Chinese to me, but I definitely was like expecting it to be like San Francisco or something at first, you know, Um, because of the voice acting. So I kind of know what you mean. Like I'm used to watching subtitles when it's actually set in China.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting because there's two dub tracks. Actually, there's two Chinese Mm -hmm. tracks in Netflix. Um, and I read up on it because I was like, "Which one do I listen to?" And they actually redid the original dubbing for the Chinese theatrical release to use more colloquial Chinese. So the so, first
2: one is which track? So there's
1: two Chinese no. tracks. One is Guoyu, one is Putonghua. Um, the Guoyu one is the original dub, which is very close to the English script. It's kind of more of a direct translation. And then the Putonghua Chinese dub is an actual translation. Like they they translated. Cl- they the like read the jokes, yeah. and they did more. They used more slang and more colloquialisms. Did you listen to that one? I listened to that one because that one flowed better. Mm. It didn't sound like it was like a direct translation like the other. Yeah, one.
2: which can be awkward when you d- try to directly translate. Yeah, yeah you need more colloquial.
1: And the songs made more sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the everything just like made more sense. The one th- difference that I found that I prefer the original English dub is there are certain moments. Where, like, um, the moment at the end where, like, she's staring at the moon or where she's coming back to Earth, um, there's silence. Whereas in the Chinese version, there is exposition.
2: Oh. And
1: I think that's just because um, I think they did a lot of, like, focus testing. And I guess Chinese people, for better or worse, are bad at picking up on context clues. You
0: know why? Because they're always talking during the movie. (laughs) They're on their fucking phones during the movie. I've been to the movie theaters in China. And it's because a lot of the things are subtitled. So you don't really need mm-hmm. to pay attention. Even even if it's in Chinese, a lot of times it's subtitled like in Chinese. And so they just like you can just Yeah, some dude picked <laughs> up his phone and had a full ass conversation on his cell phone when I watched World of Warcraft in China. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is happening here?
1: Yeah.
0: I liked the food too. The food scene was like made me super happy because all those dishes were like very specific and very um It's like what my family eats. So I was like, yay. Yeah. And then I really liked, I mean, not accurate because no like Chinese father would be in in that village. That type of village would be rocking like a sweater set in like the middle (laughs) of the day. He would be in flippy floppies and like a fun shirt and some sweatpants and Beijing bikini. And that's why we love him. But it did like, like Daddy John Cho was great. I did like, I forgot his name, the grandpa who
2: was always telling some sort of like random story.
1: Uh oh no, not it wasn't random. It was just fun facts about Harry Crab. Yeah,
2: yeah, no. Which Well, I mean, it was it was he kept on going and I was just like, oh, this sounds very familiar. Like I, I can totally <laughs> see him continuing the dialogue in his head, even though you went off and did something and came back and he's still talking about it. So yeah, I enjoyed that.
1: I'm gonna get some hate for this, but I'm not a big fan of Harry Crab. I feel like it's too much work for too little payoff.
0: Uh don't let our people <laughs> hear that marvin i mean honestly i agree with you but um i'm really i'm really princess i will only eat the shell with the with the row
1: yeah and that's the best part yeah that's obviously like the, the meat, best part there's no meat in that those crabs yeah
0: that well that's why you eat the row and then you like and then like give the rest to my parents and then sometimes they'll like just peel it for me
1: but it's crazy because <laughs> People like people from where Jess and I, where our families are from, they go crazy for this shit. My parents go back
0: every like autumn for the hairy crab season. There's counterfeit hairy (laughs) crabs too, Han. Like they each have like the legit ones have a Mm -hmm. serial number and you can actually check the authenticity, but there's like a whole market like faking it too. It's a you know, our people are hustlers and thieves. That is crazy. <laughs> I don't think I've
2: had hairy crab. so um, this was, It's was really
0: hard to get here. Like you're really, unless you go to like a soup. I don't even think you can like import it here. Yeah, I don't think they import. Yeah. And uh, both for like regulations and just in terms of like supply and demand, like it doesn't leave China unless you like specifically, unless you're like a rich Chinese person living somewhere overseas and specifically order it and get it hand delivered to you, which I know someone who did that. I was about like to say they, have have you gotten hairy crab smuggled? We don't have that kind of money. <laughs> um, my flight attendant uncle used to smuggle it in, but it used to but then that was before 9/11 and they got yeah. stricter. But you can bring cooked hairy crab in. You can bring got cooked it. seafood in. Sure. So my parents, you know, the Tupperware that is specifically for tra- Chinese travel, mm-hmm. they come back and they have bag, they have like containers full of like the meat in the roll, or they'll have the cooked full one, and then they like, mm. yeah, they, you just eat it right away. I haven't had crab in a while. <laughs> now I'm just like, oh, no, it's like I know I'm
1: hungry. We should go Bowling crab.
0: Yes, get get vaccinated, hon, and yes. we can eat sh- we can eat shrimp together. I yeah, I will <laughs> let you
2: know as soon as I get vaccinated, and I would love to just get some decent food, shrimp and boba, mm-hmm. and then we could just oh, we should do shrimp boba fried chicken, and then just mm-hmm. eat it in my backyard. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, every time I vi- well.
2: yeah, every time I visit San Gabriel Valley, I order extra and then I just take extra home. So sounds
1: That's fun. Mm. <laughs> all right, so over the moon is this good pop?
0: Yes, I think it is. I think it's a really different take on you know to add to the family animated film canon. It I think at the end of the day has a really important story, and important message about grief and family and getting over like really intense feelings uh and dealing with not getting over more like dealing with tense feelings and you know neon hedgehog aside i know that's not for me but i'm i'm happy for the people who uh, you know found joy from the bouncing neon hedgehog
2: yeah and i would say yes just because i can totally see even myself despite not not liking some of the sections watching it again it feels like an instant sort of like rewatch classic for kids so yes i would say and and it's it is unique i haven't seen anything like this before
1: yeah i mean i think with this film i found it easier for me to ignore the parts that annoyed me um because i was just so into the world the aesthetics, extent and, and this movie really moves it's well paced and like any I'm i'm i have a lot of young nieces and nephews and anything that I can put on to like show them what media could be if we were represented is a plus for me. And it's a bonus that I, I genuinely enjoy this film as well. And yeah, I guess that'll about do it for our discussion of over the moon. Let us know what you thought about the film by engaging with us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at good pop club. Uh, just Han, if people want to follow you on social media, where can they go?
0: I'm on Twitter at just you tweets. And I am at Hanonymous.
1: And you can find me on Twitter at Marvin Yue. Once again, thank you to the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts that we are a proud member of. Uh, you can check out our fellow Potluck pods by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, that'll do it for the Good Pop Culture Club episode 51. Thank you so much for joining us once again and we'll see you all next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.
0: Bye.
1: a play that explores the lost Cambodian pop music of the 60s and 70s, and, of course, Phoba, just to name a few stories. You can find Asian Americana at asianamericana.com or on your podcast app.